Welcome to Out of Game, a podcast featuring unique segments and discussions about board games, card games, RPGs, gamers, and gamer culture. Here are your hosts, Ryan, Chris, and Tim, as they go out of game. Welcome to episode 45 of Out of Game. This is Ryan. This is Chris. This is Tim. And we are a podcast about board games. games. And the AC is <laughs> Just perfect timing. Yep. Uh, yeah, this episode, we are not doing the best and worst of Gen Con. My notes are wrong. This episode, we're doing the Listener's Corner. Listener's Corner? Yeah. Where yeah. We answer questions from the listeners. I think you guys are very familiar with this. Oh, yeah. With this segment. I love Listener's Corner. Me too. Need more questions. Yeah. We only have 60 pages. Yeah, but they're all like old, so we need yeah. new stuff. We wouldn't mind some new questions. We'll have to do a giveaway. Ooh. Maybe we should. Sometime soon. Mm. To be continued. Yes. But yeah, if you do have a question, I'll just take this time to say, send us an email at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com, and we will answer it last in, first out. That's right. As agreed to previously. Lifeo. Yes. But before we lifeo, let's jump into the spawn point. Spawn point. Tim, you're Whoa. first. I'm first? Yeah. I decided wow. arbitrarily. Wow, Okay. Yeah, not not much going on. I'm just doing some hearst arts building again. Yeah, more so hearst arts. I'm building uh, this ginormous church. So a church now. I'm doing a church now. It's gonna be a big, uh, big cross church. It's probably gonna be about two and a half feet by eighteen inches or something like that. It's gonna be ginormous. We should use that for like uh, Alvaron. Yeah, we're using this in our our, our current Drungage Coast uh, campaign that we're doing. So this is gonna be the main base of operations for uh, our hardy adventurers. How many buildings do you have that you've made now? Total. Total? Like buildings. I'd say on the order of like 15. Oh my gosh. We could totally make the temple district. Okay. No, I don't have that. I don't, no, because these are different things. Like I'm counting, I'm <laughs> counting like this. There's one that's like just a Roman style thing. So there's like six pillars and a, you know, it's not really. That's a the town building. square. It could be. Yeah, I guess it could be. It could be a flogging be post. Fun. We could put a flogging post oh, in there. It gets a lot of use. So there's that. Yeah. Did you make a big tower? I've got uh, I've got a big eight inch tower. I've got another three inch tower. I got uh, <laughs> I got a small church. Small church. I got an inn. I got Embryo. another brick building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got I got quite a few. And I'm working actually. I've, I've I've got a project too going where I've I keep stalling out because I keep having to do these timbers. I'm doing like these other buildings, and I'm probably working on five or six of those simultaneously. But it's just taking forever to paint all the timbers. So okay, the dating app. Not not that's Tinder. Timber. Oh, the yeah. bachelor over here talking about yeah. like falling Tinder. Like a falling tree. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. So it's think of it like kind of the stucco style where you kind of have the the slats of wood that kind of highlight the stucco. So I've got a couple different things. There's like a stucco pattern, there's a wood pattern, and then there is a what is the last one? Stucco wood and stone. Yeah, it is. You're right. It is stone. It's like a it's like a a slate cobblestone kind Stone of thing. Bridge. So, yeah, I'm building Stonebridge. That's exactly nice. what I'm doing. So, I but I, I kind of it's, it's slowing me down just because of the painting of all these timbers. Because you got all these little tiny pieces you got to paint, and it's right. uh, it's getting a little painful. So I I'm jumping between the church and those. Cool. Where is this stuff? 
Well, most of the building stuff's in the basement in the back area. Oh, like um, the-, the rest of the stuff, the stuff that's complete is like on a shelf to the right of my uh, dwarven forge cabinet. So it's in that like that dark, creepy area of your basement that we never go in. Yes, there's some, that's where the building materials are. <laughs> Chris is about to. So yeah, it's it's all back there along the sides and stuff like that. There's that's where the project work is, and then the completed stuff. There's completed stuff out on the shelves. Yeah, I went back there to make a phone call one time, and I had to speed up the call to get out of there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of scary. We do keep some trolls back there. There's so salt circles. That's where the bathroom is supposed to be built too. Yeah. No, the bathroom's a little f- it's more this on is the side, side the bathroom, of it. This yeah. is behind the bathroom. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, where, that's where they keep the dead bodies. You should do a GoFundMe for the bathroom. We I, about I would this. participate. <laughs> we I would throw some money in. I would too. I, would. I think you'd be surprised how much. You, I would legitimately yeah. give money for that. Yeah. Speaking of, we never talked about. Well, maybe there's a good reason. But Tim turned down seventy dollars at Gen Con for something. Oh, yeah. Last episode, we forgot to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I offered. I offered Tim seventy dollars to change seats with me. Yeah. We won't say why. But there was a good reason. There was a good reason. And Tim didn't do it. He said no. I, I would have felt guilty. Tim, Chris was holding $70 out. Like he was serious. I had the Chase Quick Pay app, $70. <laughs> All I had to do was press a button. Yep. It was interesting. That was last episode, though. Yep. Ryan, Spawn Point. Spawn Point for me. I've been playing a lot of Nintendo Switch. Oh. So I have not purchased a game console since the Xbox 360. That's my last one as well. Yeah. And I kind of was like, had given up on video games, but then for some reason I got intrigued by the Nintendo Switch and just decided to buy it. And I bought it on Prime Day, so that like pushed yeah. me over the edge because they had a deal on like on Prime Day on it. How, how did Esther green light that? Um, it was an, it was an after the fact uh, uh, discovery. You're, of you're asking for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what I'm starting to realize about the Switch. Is it's it's reminding me of like when the TiVo came out. It's like something you don't realize that you need until you have it. Mm-hmm. And it might not be to the level that the TiVo was, but the Nintendo Switch is a really cool game console. And I guess maybe maybe it's just for me, or I would say this is maybe good for other people that have like small kids. Because anything you do on the TV is very distracting to children. So like if my children are eating dinner, for example, and, I, and if I'm playing the game, they're like enthralled with what I'm doing, and so they're not eating, right? So it causes a problem. Why are you not eating with your children? Because I'm done eating. That's a really oh, good question. No, like I finish eating, and then I sit on the couch, and if I wanted to play a video game, it would delay them finishing well, eating. Don't, don't you sit with the family and finish eating? My kids take like an hour to eat already, like an hour to an hour and a half to finish their meal. I'm not just, I don't just sit there, no. What does Esther do? She, no, she, we're like done, and then we're just like trying to get them to finish eating. That's like our night every night. Okay, so you're so you're eating with them, and you're done eating. I'm done. Esther's done eating, so she checks out, and she's doing They're whatever. Like cleaning up or whatever. She's cleaning up. So Esther's working in the kitchen. <laughs> you go to the couch in the living room and play Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing. If I play the Nintendo on the TV, it will make it worse because the kids will then eat even slower. So my point is... So think about this from Esther's point of view. <laughs> First of all, Ryan buys the Switch without... <laughs> discussing it <laughs> then he bring he installs it and starts playing it while she's working in the kitchen <laughs> then the kids stop eating yeah. because ryan's playing the game right but the great thing about the switch is i don't have to play it on the tv because the switch you can play Switches. it on the console and so it's very versatile and and it's you can like move it around the house or whatever and then even the controllers are cool like you can combine them 
So it's like one like normal size controller, or you can remove them from that thing and they're each individual controllers. And the, and the controllers are kind of like the Wii controllers where they sense your movement and stuff. The, the console itself is, is great. But then I'm also playing this game called Breath of the Wild, which I'm sure most people know about. But it's the new Zelda game. And like I seriously think it's probably like the best video game I've ever played. It is such a great game. I've tried to play a lot of open world games like Skyrim and Oblivion, like that series of games. And I, and I never really could get into them. Like there are things that frustrate me about them. Like one, I thought the combat was kind of dumb. And then there's like the whole crafting thing that you have to do. And I don't know. I just didn't, didn't really get into them. And this game, it's like what I've always wanted out of an open world game like that. It's very intuitive. The graphics are great. And you can pretty much do anything you want. But you, and there's like a main quest line you can follow. Or if you want, you can do like side quests. It's really dependent on what you want to do. But the main quest line is very, they make it very easy for you to figure out what you're supposed to do in the main quest line. Like they give you all the cues and then they give you like the ability to jump around the map, which is like, I think other games do that too, but that's like extremely important to me. Like it's not running around wasting time. But I think the thing I really like about it is there's a lot of puzzles. Like the game is really about like, you'll go into like, um, like they're called shrines and the shrine is like this kind of puzzle you have to figure out kind of like an escape room, but like a very minor version of that. And that's how you like gain power in the game is you find these shrines when you find a shrine, it becomes a like a portal that you can port to. So that's how you expand the areas you can fast travel. But then when you solve the shrine, you get like this thing. When you it's called a spirit orb. When you collect them, that's one of the ways you power up your guy. Okay. So it's just it's a fun know. game. It's very fun. It's just a I, great I, game. I think the game might go flying across the room at no. some point by Esther. <laughs> no. <laughs> What's the kind of milk that she likes to buy? Raw milk? The raw milk. You're going to find that like poured into the game at <laughs> Maybe. some point. So highly recommend the Nintendo Switch and Breath of the Wild. Yeah, interesting. You know, uh, from my spawn point, I was going to mention something about video games too. Oh, wow. Interesting that you brought that up. So I don't have a Switch. I've got the Xbox One and I'm sort of invested in Xbox. I bought a lot of the Xbox 360 games and now they're all on the cloud, like all the games you buy. And I thought of this Star Wars movie as I was playing a completely unrelated game. And I wanted to which, get your guys' which, opinion. Which Star Wars movie? The one where they find out that anybody can have the Force. Which one, which one was that? They're all sort of running together. You mean the real horrible one, The Last Jedi? The Last Jedi. Yeah, that, that horrible one? Yeah. Um, so tell me if I'm crazy. So I'm playing this game. It's called Metal Gear Solid Five. Okay. And I've never played this game before. It was like highly recommended on one of the websites. One of the same websites recommended a game called Inside. I don't know if you've heard of this game. It sounds a lot like what Ryan was just describing, where you're in an escape room type thing, solving puzzles. And if you know this game, if you're listening, you know you know exactly what I'm talking about. This game is kind of amazing. Anyway, I digress. Metal Gear Solid Five. One of the things you can do in this game is it's open world. You've got uh, like a sleeping darts. And you infiltrate in and you can shoot people. And you're in uh, 1980s Afghanistan. And you you uh, put the soldiers to sleep. And with your binoculars, when you look, you can see their stats. So uh, their combat skills, their medical skills. There's like six of them. And it ranks them A through D, with A being the best. And then it goes like A+, plus, A++, plus plus, and then S for specialists. So they're graded. And I was looking at this thinking, because you can, you can sort of steal these guys and recruit them to your base. Cause the idea is they're with the Soviet army. They really don't want to be there. If they're competent, you bring them to your, and they can, you know, they can do stuff. But I had an interesting thought. 
in terms of Star Wars. Because don't you think that we're getting to the point that we don't want people to be special anymore? Like, I was looking at one of these guys, and I was like, I'm going to get him out. But I looked, and his grades were like C, B, C, D. And I was like, oh, he's pitiful. <laughs> and and then I felt sorry for him, that I'm leaving him knocked out there, and he's going to have to maintain his life in the Soviet Army. When this other guy shows up like an A-plus in research and development, I'm going to hire him. He's a scientist that's going to do some good for me. And it's sort of like one person better than the other. In Star Wars, though, they were sort of making the case that people aren't really special. You know, everybody's sort of the same. And there is no more like the emperor has a daughter and the daughter has the force. She just randomly has the force. Okay. You know what I mean? So my question is, do you see a difference between a world where everybody is better or worse than other people in skill sets versus everybody's sort of just the same. And am I crazy that it seems like that's sort of the direction we're headed where being special is considered bad. Are you just talking about an entertainment or an entertainment like participation trophies? Okay. For, you know, we don't really reward excellence. I'm really getting off topic. It was, it was all because I was playing this video game and then I thought of star Wars and how like nobody is special. In that in that movie. So hold on, let's talk about the Star Wars thing a little more. There, it's like you made some connection that maybe I didn't make. So explain what your well, spoiler alert. We're going to talk about Star Wars. Well, this is an old movie, I know. Now, but so they sort of came down with the philosophy that the Force is no longer inherited. Okay. In other words, it, like if Luke has a kid, uh, that kid may or may not have the Force, but the uh, Ray is that her name? Yeah. yeah. So Ray has the force and they sort of announce that eh, her parents weren't. They weren't special. Right. But when nobody's special, then everyone is, if that makes sense. That's when sort no, of like the message that they're sending. I don't know. Because, you know, think about just someone who has an eidetic memory. His parents didn't necessarily have to have eidetic memory. They were just born and they happened to be gifted with an eidetic memory. Yeah. But don't you think it's bad to label somebody with an eidetic memory? Why? <laughs> I don't know. You're, it seems like we can't yeah. really talk about stuff like that. Well, I, I think there's a probably a trend in society that, yeah, you can't talk about it and stuff. But, you know, do we really want to be that gray on everything? Yeah. I mean, people are different. That's kind of the beauty of everything, right? Everybody, everybody's different. Everybody has special talents. There's some person that can draw a picture in five minutes that looks better than it would take, you know, that I could draw in three years. Yeah. That's their gift. How can you not call that out as being special? How can you just try to pigeonhole everybody? Yeah. Identic memory is an ability to vividly recall images from memory after only a few instances of exposure. Why would we not talk about that? No, but the game inside is good. Should look into that. I probably is available for the Nintendo switch inside. It's called inside. It's, Winning a lot of awards. It's very simple. There's like three controls. All right. It's super simple, but it's sort of the the gimmick to it. It's very immersive and very linear. It's like all the things that I don't typically like in a game, but it's winning awards because it's very puzzly. It's very escape roomy. Okay. And the storyline is like sort of spooky, but in a cool way. Anyway, check it out. Yeah. You have to try Breath of the Wild. I can. I don't have that game. I know. You have to buy it. You need to buy the console. I have Xbox One. I'm on the team you Xbox. You can't buy two consoles? I think that's bad, isn't it? Doesn't your OCD go against that? No. Because Nintendo doesn't make games for Xbox. Right. That's the problem. I think Nintendo makes the best games, too. I think that's the reason. Really? That's, that's what I've realized. All of my game mm. systems, when I look back on them, all of my favorite games are all on Nintendo. What about Halo? Nah. 
Uh, I like Goldeneye better. Not a Halo guy? Okay. I mean, I liked Halo, but then I always was comparing Halo to Goldeneye. Goldeneye and Perfect Dark were like the two best games. Well, they, they had Goldeneye on the Xbox? Not the, no, I'm talking like the Goldeneye, like the one on X, oh. Nintendo 64. Okay. Yeah, like the one everyone was obsessed with when it was out. <laughs> you you might have something there. It was the James Bond 007 game. Mm, okay. Yeah, he was generation after you, I think. Mm, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Spawn point. That was an interesting spawn point. Yeah, I don't know what's... Uh, Chris Wax philosophical. <laughs> Moving on to a cherished segment called the Board Game Food Truck. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Order up. How was on? So, Chris, what games are we... Uh, We're doing three games, as right. usual. We're going to serve up When I Dream, oh. Decrypto, and Time Stories. Ooh. Surprised we haven't done time stories. I know. I was surprised too. Okay. I had a lot of fun with that one. So let's start with When I Dream. So right. I'm not going to get into describing the, the game itself, but we'll say that this is a lot like Benihana's or a Hibachi. Is that Hibachi Grill? Hibachi. 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 That's you know, what they say in the South. Hibachi or Chicago. <laughs> Hibachi. Yeah, there you go. It's a wall We're all stuff. sitting around the chef, you know, who's amazing. You know, they're doing the flipping and all that. The skill with knives. Fantastic. But there's going to be a quiz afterward. We give our orders for what we want to eat, but he purposefully doesn't remember who orders what and serves them randomly. (laughs) There's a huge dessert selection, but it's behind glass and you're not allowed to eat it. Now, When I Dream is a fun game, and we talked about this offline, but I've literally enjoyed this game every time I've played it. It's really entertaining. No matter what your role is, you got your blindfold on and the clues are being read. Everyone else takes a card. You're either a helper or like a traitor. You create chaos and then there's a timer. And all this pandemonium is like watching the hibachi chef flip knives and build onion ring volcanoes. (laughs) It's entertaining as but when the game is in progress... It's a lot of fun. It's the same thing. The problem is with the point system in the game. The traders are determined randomly every time the blindfold is passed, and there's a huge point dichotomy between trader versus helper. And winning the game really has very little to do with how good you are at the game. But at the same time, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot like watching the chef do his thing. Now, I've seen the best player in this game whose name rhymes with Sarah. (laughs) Never win. So there's clearly a flaw with this point system. But that's why you get random food delivered to you, because you really have no control if you're going to win the game or not. After the entree, the chef quizzes you, and you have to write down every trick he did in order. If you get it wrong, you get nothing. If you get it right, you get to stare at your favorite dessert behind the glass. (laughs) This represents the fact that you can do an amazing job, which is ultra hard, reciting your guesses in the game, but you only get two points. Overall, the game is a lot of fun. But the result is dumb. Just like the hibachi is sometimes more fun to watch than to eat, you go for the entertainment. Can't say I argue with that. This yeah. is the second time we've had a dessert that we can't eat. I know. That's, it's a recurring theme. There was a chocolate cake wrapped in like saran wrap one time that you could Oh, and you cannot get to it. That's yeah. true. <laughs> okay. Next item on the grill is Decrypto. It's a game we talk quite a bit about. Had some controversy and some voting. And uh, the publisher's chiming in. So to crypto, there's two different tables we're serving food to, restaurant style. We'll get to the second table later. The menu is delicious for this game. It's cavatelli, which is the best pasta that there is, for my opinion. Mom's homemade pasta sauce, Parmesan cheese, 
your choice of your favorite vegetable and meat, but you have to get the exact same amount of vegetables and um, meat as you do with the pasta. And there's a slab of chicken breast that's plain and separate. We're also serving two goblets of wine, one of which was is laced with iocane powder. <laughs> In Decrypto, you're sending messages publicly to both teams at once, hoping that your team interprets them and the other team does not. There's art as well as science in this game. What I find fascinating is how balanced the system is. We've talked about this offline. The better clues you give, the more chance the other team can decrypt. So you've got a self-governing system. You can do single words, you can do phrases, sentences, and even sounds because it's public. The amazing balance is why you have to eat the same amount of vegetables, meat, and pasta. Balance. Now, as everybody knows, cavatelli is the best pasta in the world. Everyone knows. We chose that because this game is the best social game in circulation right now, in this humble person's opinion. Same with mom's homemade pasta sauce. Not sure about the humble part. (laughs) Okay, let's do it at the other table. If you're a rules Nazi, then you have to sit at the other table. You don't get cavatelli, you just get plain chicken because being a rules Nazi is boring. Just like plain chicken. In fact, the menu just says chicken. On the back of the menu, however, is an explanation why rhyming breaks the game. Word, old, clue, sold. The other team has no chance when you do that. That's bad. It's a rhyming. Meanwhile, you have a good chance. At the end of the meal, the two tables offer a toast saying winner, winner, chicken dinner, and then they drink. I'll leave it up to you to figure out which table has the Iocane powder. Last but not least, time stories. This is a big one. So we're serving up rotisserie turkey, watery, natural gravy. After you take a few bites of the turkey, the cooks are going to stop you from finishing the meal and decide to recook the entire dinner and then let you finish it. After your meal, you're given an ultra comfortable recliner to sit in and relax in, but there's a hidden tack on it. We're also serving KFC Extra Crispy. This one's for Mo, who asked me to work in KFC into a food truck. And by the way, when I was coming up with this food truck and I was talking about KFC, this was at work. It was like the end of the day before I came home. I stopped at KFC and got it because I started thinking too much about it. It's a side note. So we're serving up Extra Crispy KFC with no napkins, no sides, but never-ending buckets of chicken. If you eat the KFC, you're encouraged to chew with your mouth open. Lastly, a bottle of soda with extra carbonation, some peanuts, and a slice of humble pie. Now, let's talk about the rotisserie foods. So the beauty of rotisserie is that there's less heat. This represents there's no fear of death in this game because you just respawn and continue in time stories. If you die, you know, you die, you respawn. You're meant to win the game eventually. And, the you know, the, as you're doing the rotisserie, you're continually basting the turkey, uh, that represents that there's not really strategy. You just kind of adjust your plan as you progress. You just kind of make it better as you go along. Turkey is one of those foods where you can be selective because you've got your white meat, your dark meat, you've got your drumsticks. There's a lot of choices. Sort of like choosing your starting player, everyone is unique. So even though it's the same food, there's a little uniqueness. Now, as you're served your preferred piece of meat, you sit down and somebody pours watery gravy all over it. (laughs) Personally, I'm a fan of the artificial gravy. It tastes better and is never lumpy. (laughs) But in this game, when you sit down to play, you're excited and psyched. Then you hear the opening narrative of Bob and explaining he's explaining your mission. I always find this part confusing. Sometimes their dialogue gets cut off, like on purpose. 
which is fine, I guess, because it's natural. You know, he's delivering a message and it gets cut off. Just like the watery gravy is all natural. It's confusing and weird, but you feel like you're supposed to like it, even though you really don't. <laughs> now, when you die in this game or run out of time, you respawn. Your ending points are punished, which makes sense. But what doesn't make sense is that you have to redo everything that you already did. It requires memorization, which I hate. Thank God for Sarah, by the way. It's a dumb game mechanic. That's why the cooks quiz you. And then they make you start the meal all over again from scratch. Now, the bag of peanuts represents the peanut gallery. Because in our gaming group... <laughs> I like the dramatic for the pause. pause looking at us. Like, oh, he means us. <laughs> when our gaming group... You know, there's... Those not in the game seem to have a vested interest in heckling us and rooting for the game. <laughs> the KFC is for them so that they can eat as they watch. The extra crispy is to make them really annoying. It's finger licking good. They have no napkins, so they're constantly smacking their lips, licking their fingers, talking with their mouths full. The extra carbonated soda encourages burping just to make sure that they annoy the crap out of everyone else. <laughs> It's also why there's a tack on the recliner, because just as your meal finishes, you're looking to get comfortable and enjoy your win, but you need a, re a reminder that people are working against you. <laughs> the good news is that once you get comfortable in the chair, the tryptophan kicks in, making you want to take a nap or at the very least not play another heavy game, which tends to happen. Meanwhile, those at FKFC get the dessert of humble pie as they watch the victors bask in the glow of their win. <laughs> There's a lot of inside jabs on that one. Oh, I didn't, I didn't pick up on a single one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was time stories. <laughs> I like it. Which meal would you like to have, Tim? Cavatelli. Gonna have to go with the decrypto. So I've never even heard of cavatelli. Oh. No, me neither. I had no idea. Oh, you haven't lived. What? What? Explain cavatelli. Cavatelli is the meal you would have if you were on death row. <laughs> and they said, "What would you like for your last meal? You can have anything you want. You would have a bowl of cavatelli. Is it stuffed with, with something? No." It's just stuff. pasta. It's, I'm, I'm it's thinking pasta. Like, that's okay. So you have like a cutting lobster board. and Dungeness crab and stuff like that. I'm not uh, thinking of pasta. Yeah, but you want something heavy when you're going to die. I uh, would. Uh, you want to die in an empty stomach. Yeah, lobster yeah. is okay. You know, I if you're doing that, then just 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 go all sugar. Go like you know, yeah. Portillo's chocolate cake and they eat the whole thing. Cavatelli's way better. That's pasta. So you take a cut. It's like a wooden. They have a special wooden cutting board with grooves in it, like diamond grooves. And you take the. It's homemade pasta with dough, and you. Take your thumb and you flip it on the grooves and it sort of curls it in just like these little dense pieces of joy. They're so good. <laughs> you cook those. Oh, the sauce. Oh, man. All right. Well, you're going to have to bring some. Yeah. I don't know how to make it. Why don't you cook my it? Mom, my cousin Johnny made some. I visited him in Cleveland a couple of weekends ago. Oh, so good. Well, did your mom make it? She's not made it in a while. So call your mom. Tell her the next time we're recording. I'll have her ship some out. Have her oh, ship it's some so out. good. Yes. You can, you can't eat too much of it though. It's a little bit like gnocchi. If you ever heard of gnocchi? Oh, gnocchi's good. It's it's like an Italian version of that. What's gnocchi? It's very dense, like dumplingish pieces of wonder. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I need to live a little more. I don't know. Ah, either I'm hungry. Hungry yeah, pasta. All right. Well, thanks, Chris, for another romp down weird lane. So <laughs> to move on to our listeners' corner. Listeners' corner. This is the Dice Tower Network. Oh, my. First question. Author is Hugh Attire. I would love to hear the most overused theme that you still have to check out every time a game has it. So, in other words, overused, not interesting, but you still yeah, want to see it. For me, if it was IP, it'd have to be Star Wars. I just gravitate to anything Star Wars. IP? And 
intellectual property. Oh. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm simple. <laughs> so, yeah, Star Wars. So anything Star Wars I have to check out because I just really enjoy it. And me and my brother were deep into X-Wing already. And then they came out with Armada. We went to Gen Con, had to do the demo and decided, yeah, yeah I don't want to get into two space games. And then, you know, do the Imperial Assault. I'm doing that. Still haven't played it yet. Now Legion's out. I had to go look at that. You know, so, yeah. You just have to do it. That's I, a perfect I, I, answer. I have to do it. What about Ryan? So I think for me, it's probably still like fantasy fantasy theme if i see a game like it's it's really based on the artwork for me if i think the cover if the cover is like a really nice looking fantasy scene i have to at least figure out what the game is about like mage night yeah the the art wasn't that good though on the cover of mm. that one it's like some i don't know but like that everdell game like the cover of that one is amazing and i and i was interested in what that was just because of the cover yeah and that's kind of i guess that's kind of fantasy right yeah so, kind of yeah and so, yeah, I think for me, that's because that's my favorite genre of books. So it all it kind of carries over into to board games. OK. All right. Next question yeah, is cool. by. You don't have an answer. You don't have an answer. I, I guess co-op games with no decision making. You check those out all the time. Yeah, no, I'm forced to. He doesn't. Oh, okay. By my gaming group. <laughs> <laughs> so this question is by Pastor BK. I think you should talk about how many board games people own, should own, do own. What level is obsession? What is too much? What about owning games that are similar in feel but different? What about filling holes in your collection? Is that a good reason to buy a new game? <laughs> Ryan, I don't know if you should answer this, but go ahead. <laughs> so I don't think there's a set number of games that someone should own. I don't think you should be like blowing your savings on games. So you, everyone has a different limit based on what they can afford and how much they're budgeted to buy games. I do think you should set some sort of limit like for me, it's the the shelves, the capacity of the shelves I have. Like <laughs> it's not a good limit. Well, no, I have a set. I set up shelves, and my limit was when I get to the when those shelves fill, that's it. And it's not that I stop buying games, but if it's like if I buy yeah. one, want us to go out too. So I'm not expanding right. the collection any any bigger than the capacity of those shelves. So that's what I would use. I do think. There's something to be said for only having like one game in your collection. Like if you have two games that do very similar things, I think you should get rid of the one that you're not going to play as much. For example, Dead of Winter and Battlestar Galactica. They're very similar. I still have both, but the only reason I keep Battlestar Galactica is because it's signed by the designer. Otherwise, I would just get rid of it. Like it will never get played. You probably get more for it, though. Yeah, but I, I I keep it as like a collector's item. Right, sure. That's really what it is. But Dead of Winter, I will always choose over Battlestar. And it's not just because of like the issues we had. It, uh, Dead of Winter just has better, it's just a better game. for It's the, an improved version, yeah. Right. So I do think it's good to do that. Evaluate your games and be like, all right, well, these two things do the same thing. Keep the one that you're going to pick every time. Like, why keep the other one? Makes sense. And then, yeah, filling holes in the collection I do this all the time. If there's a game that I, I'm actually on the lookout for games that are very unique and do something different. And those appeal to me more now than like games that are like the same old thing. Like Root. Yeah, exactly. I don't have anything like Root, you know, with the asymmetric factions. And I don't think I mean, I haven't played it yet, but it sounds like a unique game that would fill a hole in my collection that I don't have. So you're going to buy it after I'm going to play it first. I'm a little worried about the rules overhead. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, I do think that's a good reason to buy a game. I mean, just buy the ones that appeal to you, but don't blow your budget and give yourself some limits. That would be my advice. 
Yeah, I only like keeping games that I think I'll play again. Yeah. So it, it's really an individual decision. You also have to consider budget and all that. And, it, it, you know, if your significant other is going to, you need to keep the peace in the house. Like when you buy a Nintendo Switch and Amazon Prime Day and don't say anything. <laughs> it's kind of risky. <laughs> okay, moving on. OG Deviant asks, do you ever find, oh, this is a good question. Do you ever find your love for the hobby is getting in the way of relationships you have with your friends and family? We love to spread the hobby, but sometimes shouldn't we just cool down and be okay to be with our friends and family without having to be playing a game? What do you guys think of that? So I used to be one of these people. I've changed my ways a little bit. But when I was first into gaming, I used to just, it didn't, it didn't make sense to me that everyone wouldn't want to play board games. And I would bring like complicated games to, to like, if we we're going to hang out with people, I would just bring like the games that I thought were interesting and just, I'm like, oh yeah, I could just, I'm sure they'll want to play and I'll just teach them. Yeah. I quickly learned that that is not the case. Uh, bad idea. So don't be that person. Yeah. I, you have a lot of people though in your circle that enjoy playing games, even your wife likes playing games, some games, but I have a very hard time getting my family interested in games. It's very, very frustrating. I have to use the simplest ones and even them to kind of coerce them. So I don't know. It's uh, you can't really force it. Yeah, it definitely can't be pushed. It's, they're either going to enjoy doing it or not enjoying doing it. When you're with the people that want to play, you play. And when you're with people that don't want to play, just enjoy company and talk about the latest movie, the latest sports thing, or, you know, whatever that they enjoy talking about. We've had the problem even on our game nights is people will get there and sometimes we'll be talking for an hour or more without playing a game because we're just catching up and talking about things that have happened since the last time we played and stuff like that. So even within our game group, we have downtimes where we're not gaming, we're just visiting so right. still a very important thing in the social yeah you know scheme point. of things so even within the gaming group it's it's social so yeah true all right next question is by ketchu bless you thank you a discussion about the influence of D on board games and gaming in general may be a fun topic so he's sort of posing this as a question i actually think this is really intriguing because If you stop and think about it, I think a lot of board game mechanics are an indirect derivative of D&D in some ways. And and it might not be fair to make a blanket statement like that. But if you look at the two types of games as co-op and individual, both cases, the designer sort of replaced the concept of a DM with the game so that everybody gets to play and there's no referee. And I think one of the problems that D&D had if you want to consider this a problem is that the DM didn't really get to play the game. He was sort of running the game and it was sort of entertainment for everybody else because they're more so playing the game and the DM is sort of running the game. And a lot of the technical board games, the strategic board games of today, the games we like, if you notice, uh, there's a lot of overlap between the D and D crowd and the board game crowd, not a hundred percent, but there's a significant overlap where you have to ask yourself, is there a correlation And I think that the good thing about board games is it does allow everyone to play, whether you're co-oping and you're playing against the game or whether you're playing as individuals, there is nobody that has to sit down, like sit, sit out. You know, if you look at Lords of Waterdeep, that's a very D&D-ish type game. 
And it has a lot of the same mechanics as D&D. You're sort of leveling in terms of what you, the items you're getting and the, the quests you're doing. You're getting points. More powerful game mechanics happen as the game evolves. And the game itself is sort of like the DM. And like Time Stories and Mage Knight and games like that are sort of co-op examples. So I think it's an interesting point by Kachu that uh, there is some derivation there. There's, I think there's totally, without D&D... There's a lot of missing elements to all the board game. I mean, it, you can see direct influences from D and D to board games, like you said. You know, well, I mean, Lords of Waterdeep is based on D and uh, D. Hero Quest, it's pretty much D and D on a board. I mean, there's there's so many things that it's influenced. Just the whole fantasy realm of things. It's all kind of based orcs, goblins, all the stuff that D and D is kind of brought to the you know more of a focus for things. It's definitely an influence. Yeah. So what's interesting is D&D originated from wargaming. So wargaming predates D&D. But I think what D&D added was the story element. What do you mean by wargaming? Can you like, explain that? It originated like, from like tabletop games. Tabletop, yeah. like Warhammer, that kind of style of miniature wargame. But I think, though, I don't even, I don't even think, though, that because Warhammer is kind of a fantasy theme, right? It's, a, it's, it's, it's high tech. It's not a realistic theme, I guess. Right. I yeah, say. yeah. It's... So I learned this from reading like the Gary Gygax biography of like how D&D originated. It started with like historical wargaming and then somebody added like a story element to it. So I think that's what it added is the story element. So the games were there before D&D, but D&D, I think, influenced the modern games with adding, trying to add a theme, like more of a theme outside of just like historical battles or whatever they were doing. Hmm. So I would say it added that thematic story element for sure. Good question. All right. Next question the, by uh, Random Effects. Where do you buy your games and why? Game store, big box store, online, or my favorite, thrift stores. There are bonuses and negatives to all. I would love to hear what others think. So yeah, I, buy, I pretty much buy most of my games either on Cool Stuff Inc. or Amazon. <laughs> Those are pretty much the exclusive places I buy games. Uh, I, yeah, pretty much... Almost uh, 100% of my X-Wing purchases have been through Cool Stuff, Inc., as well as some game purchases that I've made. So um, yeah, I think I bought Century. Where did I, is it just like they have their own website? They ordered it from the publisher because right. it wasn't available anywhere right. else. Right, right, yeah. and, So and, online. Yeah. And the, online. Reason, the reason why for me, yes, why. I mean, there's. I think he's trying to get to the heart of this question of should you buy games in a local store or not to support the local stores? I don't know if I've formulated an opinion on that or not. I don't think it, you should. Honestly, I don't think it matters. So I just buy it based on price. And it's really the driver for me. I want to get like the best price I can. The only time I'll buy... So we do have a local game store chain of stores in the area called the Gaming Goat that they do sell games at a discount. And I will buy from there if I like need to get it quickly. Like if I, if I wanted to buy a game for like the next game night, which is like in a day or two, and there's a specific game I wanted to have, I would buy it there and spend a little more, but you have the convenience of getting it like right away. Do you pay cash when you do that? No, credit card. But then it shows up in your in your bill. Yeah. And uh, Esther sees it. <laughs> <laughs> you think she doesn't see the game showing up on the doorstep from Cool Stuff? If you sneak in really fast and no, bring it downstairs. because the, they show up when I'm not home. A big box oh. shows up at the door, and everyone knows it's a box of games. Like, what else would it be? <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah. 
I buy games at thrift stores too, though. That's my favorite thing to do at a thrift store is to go to the board game section mm. and look for things like Carrier Strike and Titanic, the Titanic ship sinking game of Randy or whatever that game was. Yeah, called. come on. <laughs> so yeah, I do like I like thrifting sometimes. You know, actually, I was at Target this week. I could not believe the amount of games that they had there. Yeah, it's growing. It was crazy. One Night Werewolf, Azul, really. Yeah, all these like really popular games. Spyfall. I I was shocked yeah. at the amount of modern games they had on there, other than you know, like their Monopoly and Connect Four and all the typical trash that they have. They expanded. They had Catan. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah, and it's a little cheaper than buying in, you know, full price. I mean, it's a little cheaper than full price. Barnes and Noble is the other place. If you ever go on Barnes and Noble, and you can actually Barnes and Noble. I don't think they're doing well with the board games. They're trying to like make it part of their store, but they're selling them at full price. But the plus side is that they do like these clearance sales. And there's this whole section of board game geek called the hot deals section where people post deals and they track the Barnes and Noble sales because they're nationwide and people will start listing all the games that they're seeing on discount and, and they're confirming whether or not like these games are on discount nationwide or not. So I'll go into Barnes and Noble and I know more about the games that they have on sale than they do. I even went in one time, I knew the exact day it was moving from 50% to 75% off. And then it moves to $2. I was waiting at the doorstep at 9am when they opened and I walked in to the table and the staff didn't even know that it was going to $2 that day. But I oh. knew from following this thread on BoardGameGeek. Wow. And so, like, that day I got, like, a, a ton of stuff. And, like, sometimes they'll have, like, drones and stuff. It's crazy. And, like, we know more about it than the staff because we're, like, these crazy gamers that are tracking it. Wow. So, I don't, so anyway, if you want to get games at a discount, find that thread and buy them at Barnes & Noble. That's one way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question is from Trey Z. I think it would be interesting to hear about the elements of on-shelf marketing, such as box art, box size, game title, and what draws you to pick up a game that you have not heard about. And for me, I want to be pulled in when I see the, the art and the name. You know, what is the theme? What is the name? What sort of adventure will this game take me on? I, I want the name to somehow give me a feel for the game. And I mentioned this, Root is a game that, I really like, but I don't like the name of it. I, I never would have tried that game if it wasn't recommended. Even if you saw the box? No. Okay. So no, the name I, I need is to be pulled important. in. I, there's something in the marketing of it that has to grab me. But, you know, the art is good. That's true. So maybe the art would yeah. have done it. But I think a lot has to do with the packaging. I think it's underrated. It's, unless you've been recommended the game. Yeah. I mean, honestly, for me, it's all about the box art. And... Where this becomes really apparent is when I was previewing the games that are releasing at Gen Con, they make this list on BoardGameGeek that they're covering the Gen Con games. And I'm literally just picking games off there that look cool based on the box art. So if it has junky box art, it, it kind of gives you the impression that if they didn't invest much in the art, they probably didn't invest much in the game development or the, the components, you know, it says a lot about the game, like how, how much effort they went in, went into the box art. So, and sometimes you get hosed with a game with great art and it's a horrible game, but I don't know. The art to me by a mile is the thing that will grasp me if I don't know anything about it. Does that work on Kickstarter too? The art? They don't usually have the box art on no. Kickstarter. 
So what pulls you in for Kickstarter? Then if it was a Kickstarter, it would be, I would watch the video okay. and see if it, so there's no, no opportunity for packaging there anyway. And if the video is dumb, it's like an immediate turnoff for me. I won't even go further down the page. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, that's a big deal for me as a Kickstarter video. What do yeah, you think, Tim? Yeah. It's, it's, it's gotta be the box art. I mean, that's going to attract your eyes. And then when I turn the box over, I want to see the components, see that they're good components. Cause if it's like, you know, there's these figures and it's the cheap crappy just a piece of cardboard that goes into a stand and that's the main tokens right. for the game that's an immediate turn off I'm, I'm looking for the those quality components quality art in the game but yeah that's that 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 immediate box cover that's got to pull me in i don't so much care about the size and stuff you've got a size issue with your box you like your boxes squared and size fitting and in your shape. yeah <laughs> whereas I, I don't that doesn't that doesn't bother me you know it just has to fit in my shelf and but, honestly some of my games don't fit so, but yeah, I guess that's maybe a little bit of a factor, but for the most part, almost every game fits on the Calyx. Yeah. And then it's gotta be a theme too. I mean, if, if I look at the box art and it looks cool and this and that, but you know, it's about, uh, selling ponies and, you know, painting, you know, unicorns, it's, it's not going to try, you know, interest me. That sounds kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what's an example of a game that them addressing Ryan that you bought that was not recommended. You didn't know anything about it, but the art and or the name of the game made you buy it because usually you've read about it or you know the designer or you can compare it to something else and you're using some other factor to make your decision versus the point of the question which is getting pulled in by the theme and the art and the box because that would if i was a big time buyer of games I think that would the the marketing and just the way the package work would work on me. If it was a theme, just kind of what Tim said, it would pull me in. If it looked interesting and right. and it wasn't about painting unicorns, <laughs> then I would give it a shot. But my any game I buy has been recommended or I've played it. So I don't. I actually thinking about your question. I don't think I ever jump straight to purchase mm. from that. Interesting. What it what it does is it gets it on my radar. So like. Like that Everdell game was on my radar just because of the art. The game that Tim yeah. talked about playing last episode. The artwork is amazing in that game. And I think it was getting a lot of buzz before Gen Con, not even knowing how the game played just because of the artwork. And that made people want to play it. And it just ended up being a good game, too. So it's interesting because who would buy a game without knowing something about it? I think Ryan two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so that's an interesting point. When I didn't know anything about games, I was buying them just because of the ranking on BoardGameGeek. So that was actually another thing was the ranking of the game. I don't even think I watched reviews. I didn't even know re- reviews existed. Back so that then. wasn't even the packaging. Yeah, it had nothing to do with it because I was literally just picking a game off a list. But it's you have a chicken and the egg problem because eventually somebody has to buy the game. And try playing it without knowing anything about it. Yeah. No, Tom Vassell just gets it for free and reviews it. <laughs> That's true. The reviewers But do people him. buy the game based on that review? Oh, yes. God, yes. Because that, he, there, there's some games he hates that people buy. And then there's some games that he likes that people don't Yeah, buy. but, you, you know, I think when you're comparing yourself, you know kind of what you like. And you kind of know Tom's view on those two. So I think you can get a good grade based on that so you know you know tom hates this type of game so when he reviews that type of game you're kind of taking it with a grain of salt but maybe eric loves it so then you listen to eric's part of it and he loves it and you know that you and him agree really a lot like harry potter like harry potter 
The problem is oh, that it's tri- trial. You missed that. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking. So the problem is with reviewers, it's kind of trial and error. So I used to buy a lot of games based on just like the dice tower. And then I quickly found that there's definitely some of the reviewers on the dice tower and even Tom, there's certain games that they like that I do not like at all. But they, they're so enthusiastic, especially Tom. When he likes a game, he's really enthusiastic. It's like contagious. You want to try it because he's like having so much fun. And now I've kind of I'm kind of like Green I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant now to buy games just on his recommendation. I have to watch other reviewers that I trust and kind of get the the opinion of a couple different reviewers before I'll buy something. Yeah. Just like a movie critic, right? There's some that you're going to agree with a yeah, lot and there's some that true. you're not going to agree with. So you got to find out the people who have the similar tastes and then it's very similar. Off of those. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar. But to answer your question, who would buy a game just by looking at it? I think the answer is someone who walks into a game store knowing nothing about the games on the shelf and they're just they just want to buy a game. And I actually saw this happen when I was in Washington, D.C. Of course, I, I, there was like a game store I wanted to go to because I heard Eric Summer talking about it. And while I was there, there were these two girls in there that just like walked in. They knew nothing about hobby games. Were they lost? <laughs> they might have been. And, You're in the wrong place. Yeah. And so they were just looking. <laughs> this at isn't the, the coffee yeah. shop. Yeah. They were just looking at the covers of games and like what seemed fun. And, and like they picked up this one game and she's like, oh, this game looks like a kid's game because of, of something that was on the game. And I was standing there. I'm like, well, it's actually not a kid's game. I was like telling her like oh. it isn't. And then I ended up like giving them recommendations and they bought a game that I recommended. But like they were just browsing. They weren't, I don't think they were going to ask anyone. They were just picking off a shelf. So those are the people, that's the people that they need to want to capture the attention of with their games. Not so much us who are doing all this research. Of course, they have to get our attention too. But if the game isn't pretty or doesn't stand out, it's hard to get like a random person to buy it. It's, I mean, it's like buying a book, right? Yeah. How many times do you buy a book off the shelf just based on the cover? Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. Well, because then it's much, you know, it's, it's a $6 purchase versus a right. $40 purchase. There's definitely so, a price difference there. Yeah. But I do that a lot. Oh, yeah. I did that all the time when I was younger. Yeah. Not so much anymore. I started, uh, my older brother reads a lot faster than I do, so I just started taking his all his yeah. recommendations. Well, there's so much information out there now yeah. that the people aren't typically buying things blind. Right. It's it's an interesting question. Yeah. Next one is by Moramis. What game do you like to get out, but you can never seem to get to the table? And how do you get games only you like played, or do you just give up and trade them away? <laughs> so I know I know the second part. You get to play games that you want to play. Is uh, you be the main game supplier and only bring games you like, which is kind of what Ryan is taking to do on our Wednesday nights. Is he's the one of the main suppliers. So when he packs his bag. He packs games that he wants to play. Right. So that definitely gets them played. Right. And I think that's a, that's the prerogative of the game, the the person in the group who's supplying the games. Almost they definitely. did most of the work. They learned the rules. They bought the games. They should have a greater say in what gets played. And I'm fine with that. The thing that's frustrating for me is when I like a game that I don't own and nobody wants to play it, but I, I've been dying to play this game. Yes. Because... You, you don't want to, st- to strong arm people into playing a game that they're not going to like. Right. Either. So yeah, Ryan a- Ryan has suffered from this. Yeah. Where he wants everybody to have fun. And if everybody doesn't have fun with his game, it ruins his fun. And I sort of feel the same way if there's a game I want to play and nobody else has fun. So I factor this in now when I buy games. 
there might be a game that I'm interested in personally, but if I think to myself of all the ge- people I play games with, if there's no one that I think would play with me, I won't buy it. And I really only bring games to our Wednesday night now that I think people will want to play. So I bring games that I want to play that I also think other people want to play. I have enough games that I can still fill two bags of games like that. I can't even remember the last time that I brought a game that I've never played to our Wednesday night group. I like, I try to vet them out before I bring them. Interesting. The the exception is like, if we're doing an event like Gen Con or Sauce Con, then I'll maybe bring more games to like experiment with, but I'm usually bringing stuff that I've played and I'm pretty sure you guys are going to like. So then, yeah. so then what's something that you can't get to the table now that you would love to get to the table? Well, that would be the four magic number games that are still <laughs> on my list that I've had for like it's three years. It's down to four? Well, there's four that have been there forever. And then there's like uh. um, three like newer ones. And and actually, he said, do you ever give up and trade them away? And the answer is yes. I have just gotten rid of games that have sat on my shelf for two years and never gotten played. And I just and I actually lost interest in them after that amount of time. Wow. And just trade them away. And that one of these, one of these is like the um, Tom Vassell's game, not nothing personal that he designed. It's like a negotiation game, which two years ago sounded really fun, like a straight negotiation game. And now I've kind of lost interest. You'd be good at that game. I think I would be good at it, but I don't think it would be fun hmm. in our group. I just don't. And so I, I just stuck it in the trade pile, and that was one of the five that I've had forever. So now it's down to four. So it's whittling away the number, and that's one of the ways. Wow. For me, I, I really take other people's opinions. The, other people's opinions have a lot of weight with me, and knowing, you know, can you compare this to some something else? I just don't really trust my ability to determine if a game is good. I need to use, like, Ryan or Nathan or Imad or, you know, somebody who's I – I, I feel almost incompetent. Like, I don't trust my own opinion. It's sort of like – um. I'm using an example like the moon. When you look at the moon outside, you won't go blind. Yeah. Yeah. But there's like five moons. There's one that's like full, like it's this big white circle. And then there's like one where it's like a like crescent shaped. Those are all the same moon. Chris. I know. Isn't that weird? <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Either there's like five of them. Oh it's like there's God. like half glowing yeah. and then sometimes it's all the way glowing. The heck. <laughs> yeah. So for me, games that I can't, I can't get to the table. Obviously one's Imperial Assault. Yes. I've been trying that for, I don't know how long now and uh blood bowl. And it's just, it's not so how hard have you tried. Was that with Imperial Assault? Yeah. I, I've had, I've had game days set up and then at the last minute, my brother and nephew ditch. He hasn't so, tried with us. He's tried with, tried with okay, his family. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I've been talking about Imperial Assault forever. So if you guys Bowl? are interested. What about Blood Bowl? Uh, Ryan's already put a big negatory on that one. Uh, so I, and I don't know. Yeah, that no one else has really expressed much interest either. So I don't want to play a board game based on football. I'd be interested in that. What, what if we call it rugby? <laughs> that would be boring too. Golf? I don't like sports board games. I'd rather just play sports. I want to. I'm. Sort of interested in playing Blood Bowl. How many people do you need for that? Well, you need two to play a game because you got two sides. Oh, and that's, that's but then one versus one. You know, you, typically you want to do a league, so you have a bunch of people, and then you play games, and your your guys improve. So at the end of a game, you get a you get an MVP, and he gets five points. And then, you know, if you do things in the game, you can earn points. And when you get to a certain amount of points, you get an improvement. So the guy can pick up a new skill, or maybe his strength goes up, or something like that. So then your guys get better. So it's like legacy. 
kind of yeah grows yeah so you usually play a league and you know you get your team's improving uh, you know over the duration of the league and at the end someone wins the league i'd be fine with other people playing this i'm just not interested in it i would be interested in it i love football and uh, i think i'm probably the only one in our gaming group yeah maybe probably probably so (laughs) well if chris johnson was still here he'd play too no. To answer He's, your question about Imperial Assault, I've played it and it and it was just like nah for me. Okay, that's why I haven't really like pushed it to. But I want you to get it played. Yeah, so do I. So I'll, I'll get it played with my brother. Yeah, I might just have him be all four rebels and I'll be. The this Empire has been and, your New Year's resolution for two years, right? I gave up on that being a New Year's resolution. <laughs> yeah, I just, thought that was your resolution. no. That was just to keep playing X Wing. Oh no, that was last year. Yeah, well, I, well, this year I didn't say anything about Imperial Assault this year. I thought that was your new gaming resolution. I don't think so. Would I curse myself that way? You reused the one from last year because oh. it didn't. I don't have to go back to the I notes. See. You check it. Yeah. Check it out because I don't pull the tape. <laughs> Next yes. question is from Nathan Beitler. One, your favorite place to play games, home, game store, or convention, and why? He has three questions. So let's start with that one. That's interesting. I mean, there's advantages each way. I think when we have our gaming, our Wednesday game, that's a fun place to play. I'm going home. Yeah. Yeah. Over convention? Yeah, but then convention is fun too because of the whole experience there. Yeah, it's yeah, you got bathroom right there, you got food right there, you got drink right there. We have all those things at the convention. Got a nice comfortable bed. I can sleep in there with my wife instead of four guys. We don't technically have a bathroom right there yet. It's right upstairs. <laughs> it's it's closer close. than the bathroom at uh, Gen Con. Uh, I may be right. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's full though, and I, I don't have to sleep in a room with four guys. So yeah, that's that's a win. That's, that's not playing the game though. That's true, but that's still one of the results of being at the convention. I well, I think the how we play games at Gen Con when we play in the bar is my favorite place to play board games. Yeah, the high top table is pretty awesome. I think period. By the way, that's that's over at the uh, Bridgestone. It's not yeah. at the JW. Stone Bridge. I, and then second is at my house in my game room. I love the experience of playing at Gen Con surrounded by gamers and then having like the food there and everything. I don't know. I really like playing there. Am I the only one that likes playing up in the ballroom? Yeah. I like the ballroom. I don't, there's Do no really? windows. Yeah. I don't like yes, that there's yeah, no windows. No windows. It can get loud in there when it gets really full. It it's the, loud in the bar. The tablecloths yeah. are annoying. Uh, why are they annoying? They're like too long. And they're yeah, like they're hanging actually, out on the floor. And yeah, you you <laughs> the tables aren't flat in the middle. They've got like bumps in them. Why do you like the ballroom? <laughs> I don't know. I just it's it's spacious. It's big. You got the water right there. There's close bathrooms. All those. It's things. a little bit quieter, I think, in the ballroom than in the bar. Maybe maybe it's the noise. Okay. I, I think it's louder in the bar. I think that's that could be. The bar's fine though. I don't mind. Uh, whatever. I, I I honestly I don't really care. Well, like we when I look back on Gen Con, the thing I always imagine that I am looking forward to doing is playing games in that bar. Really? Either there wow. or even the old place we used to play up on the couches. Play, just playing Which we games. didn't do there at all this year. I know. No, we did not. Just playing games in like the, the Marriott proper. Yeah. It, it might be my favorite place to play games. There's something about that experience. I agree. Yeah. There's something about it. If we Maybe if it wasn't, if we just went to the Marriott, I don't know if I'd have the same experience. I think it's something about being there during Gen Con. Right, right. Because it's just it's like in the air. Yeah. That's what it is. Well, because there's people playing games everywhere, so you get to yeah. walk by and spy on Everdell and spy on this. Right. And you get to see these things that you wouldn't see otherwise. Yeah, and I think if you were there, if we were there randomly, people would look at us so weird. If we went to that bar <laughs> and set up side and played it, <laughs> you're probably right. It would, it would be a completely different experience. Yes, it would. 
are you doing with right. this game? Uh, so his second question is, how much should you push your friends or family to play or try a new game? So we kind of just did that one. I would say only if they if they really genuinely seem interested. Right. And then related to the above, how best to persuade friends and family to try a new game? And again, it's all based on what are they interested in, not yeah. what are you interested in. Right. Don't take your magic number game to your friend's <laughs> house to just try to get it played. No, you need a gateway game. Yeah. Yeah, you need something that that's going to kind of draw them in. And if you can, you know, if you can get them to play a game like Azul or something that's a little maybe more non-gamer friendly, you can always try to move to the other games if they express interest. But yeah, you're going to have to stay with something simple. Right. Exactly. King of Tokyo. Yep. King of Tokyo is a good one. You cannot you have a you have a 5 minute window of time to <laughs> grasp their interest in board games. And if you spend that 5 minutes muddling through rules, then you've like lost them forever. That's really yeah. what it is. Yeah, like, yeah, you're right. You're you have right. Five minutes to convince them because you have to get them playing. The playing is what will actually convince them. But if you yeah. can't get to that point without them losing interest, then it's like a lost cause. Sometimes you can buy time. You can extend the five minutes when the components are cool. True. Like I noticed when I wheel out Century with the little gems. Oh, what's that? You know, it sort of gets their attention. And I feel like I just bought them an extra minute. Yeah. One trick that I've found that I do to keep you guys engaged when I'm trying to figure out rules is I have you do stuff. Yeah, that works on me. Yeah, I'll be like, here, can you shuffle these I love cards? having a task. Yeah, I'll, I'll give people tasks so they don't realize that I'm like actually trying to figure out the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that plan. I, it works, though. I, I, but I, I don't need that kind of distraction, I guess. I do. Yeah. It works on me. I mean, it actually, it does help me, too, because if I don't have to worry about setup, then I can just focus on sure. learning. So you could do the same thing with your friends. Like... If you're setting up the game, don't have them just sitting there while you do stuff and then you learn the rules and then it's like you're ready to teach them. And by then it's like they're either in a conversation or they're watching something on TV or they just get up and leave. I've had that happen. People just get up and leave the table or they get distracted. So, yeah. Anyways, Halimon also had that question. Next question. The secondary market for board games. A store in Chicago just started accepting used games, which they sell on consignment. With our collections growing and more games coming out, what role does the secondary market for board games play? Well, you have direct experience with this, so yeah, this is all you. So I buy games secondary market, but it's usually from other people, like a, like a flea market. Like a, what, usually, what I do is a virtual flea market. So at Gen Con, for example, there's this giant geek list, and I sold like thirty games on this geek list this year. And then this year I didn't buy anything, but usually I'll look through that list and buy games from other people. So you get them for cheap and it's, I mean, the downside is it's kind of subjective, the quality or what condition the game is in. So like I bought Cyclades used from someone and they said it was in very good condition and like their standards were much lower than mine. And I, I probably got it for maybe five or $10 cheaper than just buying it brand new. Oh, jeez. So in hindsight, I kind of wish I would have bought it brand new, but really the only thing wrong with it is the box is kind of messed up. Like it was split a little bit. All the pieces are there. It's really just the box is beat up, but it's like this person didn't market the, the, the condition the game was in properly. So that's the downside. But I don't know. I, I mean, it's just like anything else. The secondary market. I think that the cost should be at least half. Yeah, I agree. Just because it's been used. It's been open. It's been played. It's not new. If it's $5, yeah, I mean, just if, buy the new game. Yeah, if I had a $50 game and I could get it for $40 
from someone who's already played it, I'd, I'd pay the 10 bucks and just get the new game. Yeah. Cause then I know it's going to be in good condition. And if I get it not in good condition, I can be like, hey, you guys sent me a game and it's in crap condition. They'll give me another one. Right. But if it's $25, then it's then, more then, reasonable. Yeah. That's more reasonable. You can expect a little wear. So one good thing about buying on the secondary market is if you resell it, you basically get back whatever you paid. True. Because you're already buying it. Usually like if I buy it from someone, it's like Chris said, I almost always look for half off or more. And I sell my games for that cheap too. So, but if I buy it and it it's a dud, I can just resell it and get all the money back that I spent on it. So that's one plus. Do you thing. mind having the pieces used? No, isn't it a little? So you know, like orange juice comes in different kind of pulp. Yeah, like you have the no pulp, yeah. you have low pulp, and then you have pulp. Right. I like the pulp. Okay. <laughs> but sometimes I order it with um. You know, and I, and I like having all those extra pulps in there, but then I get that it has no pulp in it and it's just not as good. And I, I feel like when you have these pieces that have been handled and they're all funky, it's sort of, yeah, it's, there's something jarring about that to me. I don't think people typically sell games that they've played a lot. All right. Well, I'm not sure how long the episode's going to be versus the blooper reel on this one, but that wraps up episode 45 of Out 45. of Game. 45. And I want to say one more thing. Please send us questions. Yeah. We're, we are going to do some sort of giveaway, I think, in the next couple episodes. I'm not sure when, but we need to encourage some more questions because when we do get listener questions, we love them. These are great. And we're still pouring through them. But send more questions or feedback, anything, or just e- send me an email and say, thanks for the show. I, w- I would just, just a thanks for the show email would be great. It would be great. Any email. Just any- to make sure that email address is still working. It does. It's out of game podcast at gmail.com. If you want to email us. Yeah. And if you have game recommendations, send those too. Oh, like games for us to talk about. You yeah. Mean? Games for us to talk about or to play if we haven't played them and then talk about them. Yeah. Cause I noticed at Gen Con way in, in the last episode. There was a lot of games there that were being played that I'd never heard of. Yeah. And maybe you guys have, but it's always good to get a suggestion. I agree. Find our website at outofgamepodcast.com. You can find us at Board Game Geek Guild 1990. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Stitcher at OOG Podcast. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail at 40OOG80. For great games at amazing prices, shop at coolstuffinc.com. The number one place that I buy board games. Yes. Per listener question. And for more great podcasts, what did you say? Coolstuffing.com. Okay. For more great podcasts of the Dice Tower Network, go to Dice Tower Network. Doodle.com. 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 Yeah, we should be sponsored by them. I know. Love Doodle.com. I should write them up. You Check should. Them. Doodle.com. Yeah, you should. Silver time. Tongue, though. Let's get some sponsorship. There you Doodle. go. I like it. Doodle. Most underrated site. Yeah. Good night, everyone. <laughs> Good night. You know what? Let's let's just cut this out when you edit it. All right. It's not that interesting. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, the connection isn't a very good connection. All right. I'm not sure why I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a epic fail. All right, but you're five. Yeah. Hoorah. <laughs> we'll do some board game food truck later and make up for that. All right. All right. Hey, my link worked. Yay. Have yeah, you ever played it's... photo football? What? Never mind. Photo football. Photo football is like a game from the 80s.
No. This would be one of the games in Tim's list. Never heard of it. It's a it's a little bit like Robo Rally where you pick a play and then I pick a play and there's these transparent sheets and you put them on this this sort of glowing board and okay. then it, it that lines intersect and and it determines the yardage. Yeah. It's like inter it's like sort of program movement. Interesting. Yeah. It was it wasn't that good. Anyway, I don't know how we got on that. Didn't work. Uh, out. Hold on. I this is really annoying. I, I, I had a point I was going to bridge with the pulse oh, analogy. Sorry. No, it's not your fault because I paused and now I forget what, where I was going with it. But I had a point with the pulp. Well, you said the pulp, the pulp. No pulp. You said the pulp. Gummy pieces. Was like getting game pieces that weren't. Yeah, but they're uh, yeah, small. I thought you were done with your point. Yeah. No, yeah. It's fine. No, it's, it's a dumb, <laughs> dumb point anyway. So you have like to, the, the board game food truck again, but you forgot, you forgot the punchline. Well, this I didn't have prepared. I just thought of the pulp analogy for a reason. But Hold on, I want to give you time to, to process. I want to hear what you, what your point was with the pulp. I don't. I don't like when there's no pulp and then there's. <laughs> so you asked me. If, you asked me if I had a problem using having used pieces. Yes, because I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> so like, you got the full pulp, so they're like brand new crisp pieces, and then if someone takes all the pulp out, they're like used and gummy and it it was it was like it was like this i was going for this foreign like this isn't what i expect when i play the game because i've had used games but not like our gaming level like older games like monopoly type games and i don't i remember buying a used game and not all the pieces were there and it just i just like just distaste it was like getting no pulp orange juice yes okay but there, there's a feeling i'm trying to capture there that i can tell isn't working don't you guys like it when there's pulps in the drink <laughs> no not usually what yeah not a big fan of the pulp i don't mind the low pulp do you like crunchy or creamy crunchy yeah, oh yeah like, crunchy peanut weird. butter for sure well that's weird because i was gonna say chris is the texture guy Nah, no, Tim is crunchy peanut butter for sure. Crunchy and pulp go hand in hand. Yeah, I feel nah. like you should like no because pulp crunchy peanut crunches. butter. I'm chewing. I'm expecting to chew. When I'm drinking, I don't expect to choke on a bunch oh, of stuff that's coming down extra. But the choking has extra flavor in it. Yeah, no. <laughs> so do you sometimes order orange juice and you're expecting pulp and you get no pulp? Yes, and that's kind of like buying a board game yes. and having used pieces. Yes, is that, was that your that, point? That's yeah. probably good enough. Yeah. <laughs> And with all that, I I don't eat, drink orange juice anymore. So it's a lot of sugar. Yeah, a lot of sugar. Lots of sugar. A lot of sugar. A little bit of sap. Sap. <laughs> Quote from a movie. I think we're getting loopy. I think it's time I'm, to, I'm, to bring this yeah, to an end. Yeah, it's yeah. Time to, it's time to land the play. I think Chris got more gray hair. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Stitcher at OG Podcast. Join our Facebook group. While out there, <laughs> just cut that out. <laughs>